to be doing a series on Romans 12. That's what the R12 stands for. And I'm excited about this series coming up. Uh, Chip Ingram is the author of the material that we'll be using both in our ABFs and the study groups that are going on there as well as giving kind of the ideas for some of the messages that I'm going to be sharing. It's called Living on the Edge and Dare to Experience True Spirituality, as you can see on the banners here. And today, really, what I'm going to do is set the table for what we're going to be talking about the next few weeks. So if you want to read ahead, read Romans 12 and be thinking about it and uh, meditating on it. And even if you would like to, it is one of those great chapters in the Bible to memorize as well. Romans chapter 12, as we talk about true spirituality and what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Today, we're actually going to start with uh, Matthew 22, verses 34 to 40. And I'm going to read that for us, and then we're going to pray. Matthew 22, 34 to 37. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. And one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you this morning in your word, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Help us to put aside the maybe distractions or schedules or all those things that we have on our mind for this week coming up. And help us to hear what you want to say to us today. Thank you for the words of scripture that are your words, your truth that bring encouragement and hope and instruction and bring conviction. And so, Father, I pray that you would use this time as we wait upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the books that I read on my sabbatical this summer was called The American Church in Crisis by David T. Olson. He's an evangelical covenant pastor, and he's done a lot of work in this area of looking at uh, trends in the church today. And here's some of the things that he found. He said on an average weekend in the United States, about 17.5% of the population attends a Christian church. Okay, On any given weekend, about 17.5% attend a Christian church. And if you look at the breakdown of that, he would say that about 9.1% are evangelical, that would be like Baptists, Evangelical Covenant, Evangelical Free, Assemblies of God. About 3% attend mainline churches, your Presbyterian, Methodist, Lutheran, Protestant churches like that. And then on, in terms of Catholic churches, it's about 5.3% that attend a Catholic church. Not all go to church every Sunday. I mean, even for all of us who are here today, we would say that. And and so in terms of those that are actively involved in a church, he said it's about 23% of the population that are actively involved in a church at least, you know, three times a month, say, or involved in different ministries of a church. He said there's another 14% who would say they attend church once a month or so or may on occasion contribute to a church and put something in the offering. 
Another 15% on top of that say that they have a church tradition. They might say, I'm Lutheran or Catholic, but they really don't go. They really don't attend, or maybe just Easter or Christmas. And so what we have in the church today, you know, is this, or in America, is this kind of um, shaping of the church where there's about 40% of the population that are connected with the church in some meaningful way. And that means there's about 60, maybe 65% of the population that really never attend or have no connection with the church anymore. And we have seen that trend in our area too, or in terms of those who come to our youth group, those who come to Awana or VBS or ministries like that. Uh, many never attend church anywhere else. Their parents don't go, they don't go, they aren't growing up hearing the stories about God and how much he loves us about the significant characters in the Bible and the plan of salvation. And so there's a huge mission field all around us. And the sad part is that those numbers have been in decline for some time. Uh, David Olson said that by the year 2020, the projected population that will attend church on any weekend will be 14.7%. By 2020. And when he broke that down, he said 8.5% will be evangelical, 4% Catholic, and 2.1% in the mainline Protestant churches. And the only reason the Catholic Church is at 4% is because of the growth of the Hispanic population in our country that's come in. Otherwise, they would be more in line with the 2% as well. Now, that's just a huge shift that's taken place in our country. We are not keeping pace with the growth in population, and there is this tremendous mission field in America today. Now, there are several reasons for the decline among Protestant churches. One of the reasons for the decline is the loss of the authority of Scripture. There is a battle going on in mainline churches over whether or not this really is the Word of God, and does it have authority over our life. In the Catholic churches, the clergy abuse scandals and the aging of the priesthood, all of those have had their effect upon the church and um, it has taken its toll. And it's not just the Catholic church that has problems with clergy abuse or scandals that have occurred. There are Protestant churches where that has occurred too. But what it does is that it really just turns off people in the world from the church and they look at that and they see those problems and they're like, I want nothing to do with that. But perhaps the primary reason why the church has been in decline is that Christians are not living like Christians. Many profess to know Christ, but they don't live the life. The salt has lost its saltiness or that savoring influence in our world. And as a result, the world sees very little difference between Christians and the world around them. A.W. Tozer wrote some 60 years ago that our most pressing obligation today is to do all in our power to obtain a revival that will result in a reformed, revitalized, purified church. It is of far greater importance that we have better Christians than we have more of them. That's an interesting comment to make. I mean, Tozer was a pastor. I mean, pastors, don't you want more Christians? Yes, you do, ultimately. But you want believers who understand what it means to know and follow Jesus Christ. 
what he's addressing is this problem of professing Christians who claim to know Christ but really don't. And it doesn't do any good to them to give them a false assurance that they are saved when they are not. And at the same time, it is not a good witness to the world when people are not living as Jesus called us to live. John Stott, an evangelical pastor in England, was asked to evaluate the health of the church worldwide. And he said one of the big problems is growth without depth. There has not been sufficient growth in discipleship that is comparable to the growth in numbers. We need to go beyond evangelism. If you think about the Great Commission that Jesus gave to the disciples and to us, at the end of Matthew's Gospel, he said, I want you to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. He didn't just say, I want you to go and I want you to have conversions. He said, I want you to make disciples of all nations. What does that mean? Most professing Christians don't understand what it means to be a disciple and most churches don't have a process for making disciples. And that, that is really distressing, but that's a big part of the problem. That here, Jesus gave this instruction to go into all the world to make disciples. And yet, if you ask people what a disciple is, or to give a definition of that, or if you ask churches what their plan is, or their process for making disciples, many have never thought that through. There's a collection of activities, but there is not a plan to help people grow in their relationship with Christ step by step. And that's really what this series is about. It's about helping us to understand what it means to be a disciple and helping us to understand what is the process, what's the pathway by which we can grow as a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to lay out today as we move toward this study in Romans 12. So what is a disciple? How would you define that? Well, in the scripture, what we see is a disciple is a learner. Or another word that's used frequently is he is a follower. He or she is a follower. The Greek word is methetes. It is more than being a student. It's not just learning some information. It, it is meant to change our life and our heart. And what we see in the scriptures, and this would have been true of other rabbis as well, is that they would have followers of students, learners, these disciples who would travel with them. They would become identified with a certain teacher. There's an allegiance or loyalty to a particular teacher that you would follow. That's why in the scripture, in Corinthians, for example, in the Corinthian church, some began to say, I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Paul, or I'm of, you know, a different person that was sort of their favorite teacher that they had identified with. And Paul says, no, 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 you don't get it. We are all followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where our allegiance is to be. We are followers of Jesus as our Savior and Lord. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul would say, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Literally, he's saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ. What you see in me that is like Jesus, I want you to follow that example. If you see anything in me that is not like Jesus, just let that go. Follow me as I follow Christ. 
And he would say that to the churches that he ministered in. The Apostle John wrote in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, he said, Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Whoever claims to be a follower of Jesus must walk like Jesus, must do what Jesus did or live as Jesus lived. I mean, that really raises the bar, doesn't it? When you think about, you know, uh, what Jesus is saying there and what John is saying, that we are to have that kind of heart and love and compassion and commitment as Jesus did. When you think of the average church in terms of what is asked in terms of membership, that bar is pretty low. In a lot of churches, to become a member, all you have to do is say, I want to be a member. (laughs) And that's kind of it. Are there expectations with that? Are there things that go along with being a member of the body of Christ? Yes, there are. It's a commitment to Jesus Christ to serve and honor Him as our Lord. The goal of the Christian life is to become mature and complete, fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That's our calling. To become mature, complete, fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. We hear that in the heart of Paul who said in Philippians chapter 3 verse 12, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. He's saying, I'm not there yet. You know, and Paul, you think about how he had grown and his dedication and commitment. He's going, I'm not there yet. I'm not perfect or complete yet. But I am pressing on to become everything that God made me to be. And I will do that until the day he calls me home. That's commitment. That is the process or that's the pathway to becoming a mature believer. It is that kind of dedication and commitment to Jesus. Jesus was never asked the question, what is a disciple? But he was asked questions, uh, several questions, in fact, that show us what it means to be a disciple. And one of those is the passage that I read for you. When he was asked this question by an expert in the law, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied by saying, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. In other words, Jesus is saying that a disciple is a person who loves God with all his heart. A disciple is someone who loves God with everything that they've got. That means that God comes first in our time. God comes first in our money. God comes first in our commitments. God comes first in our values and our priorities and our work in our relationships. He is Lord. And so we look at life differently. We look at the way that we use our skills. We look at the way that we raise our family or uh, conduct our relationships. All of that is different because of Christ. We want to honor Him in the things that we say and do. It affects our marriage, our family, our priorities. A disciple is someone who has surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord. They are trusting in Him and Him alone for their salvation. 
But Jesus also went on to say that the second commandment is like it, that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. And so here you have, according to this passage, a disciple is somebody who loves God, but a disciple is someone who also loves people and sees them as God sees them and looks at the world around us through his eyes and sees those who are lost, who need to know Christ as their Savior and Lord, understands what it means to be a part of the body of Christ and the fellowship that we enjoy. A disciple loves people, cares about what's going on around them in the lives of others. Those two commitments summarize what Jesus would say it means to be a disciple. A disciple loves God and loves people, and it shows in the way that they live. Now, I've had the opportunity to teach many times overseas on discipleship. And I do that when I'm involved in the pastoral training, uh, when I go to different parts of Latin America, and I've been doing that for a number of years with a ministry called Apoya. One of the passages that I've often used in teaching on what it means to be a disciple is John chapter 15. You know, and when I would go through that, I'd walk through that passage about what it means to follow Jesus Christ and kind of lay things out. And, um, you know, it... Jesus there stresses how important it is that we abide in him and how a disciple someone who bears fruit and all of those things that flow out of that passage. But as I was reading this book that was written by Chip Ingram on R12 Discipleship, um, I really enjoyed the way that he fleshed it out. Chip Ingram had a similar experience where he was in Africa and he was talking about discipleship and one of the pastors in the group asked him, how would you define what it means to be a disciple? And he thought that was a really good question. And he said it was one of those God-inspired moments when the Lord gave him an answer that was better than what he knew at that moment. And he took them to Romans chapter 12. And in this series on our 12 discipleship, that's just short for Romans 12, we're going to see what a disciple looks like, and here's how he defined it. He said, a disciple is someone who is surrendered to God, verse 1, who gives himself to God as a living sacrifice. They are separated from the world. In other words, they are not being conformed into the world's mold, but they are being transformed by the word of God. They are sober in their self-assessment. They look at their life with humility. They recognize that they have been given gifts and abilities unique to them, and they want to use those gifts appropriately. They are involved in serving, in love. They understand their connection with the body of Christ and they're growing in that community that we call the church. We are to be vitally connected to the body of believers. And then finally, Romans 12 talks about how we are to supernaturally respond to evil with good. It stresses how we can overcome the world by the word of God and his power in our life. And Chip Ingram began to walk through that passage of Scripture using these as kind of the short way to remember what does it mean to be a disciple. Now you can find those kind of summaries in different passages of Scripture. I think this is an excellent summary that will help us to understand what it means to know Christ. As I said, when I teach from John 15, one of the key verses there is John 15, 5 
where Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. He will bear much fruit. The key is to walk in that kind of close fellowship with God so that He is at work in us. But here's what He is saying is to be the norm for every believer. The norm for every believer is to be a person who bears much fruit for God. It's not just to be for some or a few or those who are sort of spiritually elite as we might think. He wants you to bear much fruit for His kingdom. Jesus expects that of us. And what kind of fruit is he talking about? Well, I think it's things like fruit in evangelism, leading others to Christ. It's fruit in ministry, using our gifts and resources to be a blessing to others. It's fruit in our personal life. It's the changed life, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, things like love and joy and peace and patience that are to characterize our life. And who doesn't want that? I mean, every believer wants to be able to lead someone to Christ or to be involved in ministry or to see God at work in your life. In fact, Jesus said in John 15, 11, that I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Jesus wants us to experience His joy in our life. How much joy is that? I mean, that is just an amazing statement. He wants us to experience His joy, to share in that. He wants our joy to be complete or full. In other words, in John 15, Jesus is saying that the pathway to experiencing, really, His his love in all of its fullness and His joy in all of its fullness is to abide in Him and bear much fruit. Do you want to experience his love and his joy in your life this is how we do it it is by growing as a disciple of jesus christ so how does that happen how can i grow as a disciple again in in teaching in different places overseas i've used the illustration of a ladder to explain it And you can think about if you had to do a project on your roof or get up on the roof of your house and you needed a ladder to get up there, imagine you went to grab that ladder and you set it up there and when you looked at it, you had a problem. This ladder was missing some steps. In fact, it only had two steps on it. It had a bottom step and it had a top step. I mean, that wouldn't be a very functional ladder, would it? That'd be kind of useless. And what would you do? Well, you'd want to put the steps in between to make this ladder functional. And if you think about that in terms of what it means to be a disciple, that first step is really just coming to know Jesus. The very first step is when we make that commitment to Jesus and ask Him to forgive our sins and be our Savior and Lord. And we don't understand all of what it means to be a follower of Jesus when we make that initial commitment, but we're willing to trust Him and take that first step. Well, in the church, sometimes you have people that are mature believers or pastors or leaders in the church, and it kind of looks like they're up there on this top step, or at least a lot higher than I am. They understand the Scripture. They've grown in their relationship with Christ. they become mature believers. How did that happen? 
what are the steps in between? That's what we need to discover to help us grow. And when we look at Jesus' ministry, we see that he had a process of intentional discipleship. There are many Christian authors that have written about it. Robert Coleman wrote The Master Plan of Discipleship. A.B. Bruce wrote a classic book called The Training of the Twelve. Bill Hall wrote his book, Jesus Christ, Disciple Maker. All of them and many more have looked at his particular plan. And really, in Mark 3, 14, Jesus explains what he did with the disciples. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that they might be with him, and then he might send them out to preach. And Jesus had this larger company of 120 who followed him as he went about in his ministry, and he was teaching them, and they would listen to him. But when he began this intentional discipleship, he appointed twelve. And those twelve were to spend time with him. They would listen to his teaching, they would talk with him, they would ask questions and interact. They saw Jesus do ministry, they saw him heal the sick, they saw him care for those who were hurting, they saw him teach and answer questions and interact with the crowd. And then little by little, Jesus would give those disciples responsibility. He'd send them out two by two. Then he'd bring them back in and they'd talk about what they saw happen. And he would maybe critique that or he would encourage them as he was training them in this process. Delegating responsibilities. Talking about the power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Urging them on as they took these new steps of faith. Until eventually he would prepare them to carry on his ministry that he had given to them. That process of discipleship was carried on by those apostles. It was carried on by Paul who said, you know, the things that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, I want you to entrust them to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And there came this understanding that there was a, some basic things that we needed to learn about the Christian faith that were to be passed on from generation to generation so we could grow in our relationship with him. And at our church, at Lakes Free, we have a discipleship pathway for our church. I want you to take a look. We'll put it up on the screen. And some of you have seen this before. But it is, it's here on the screen today. It's also on our website. You can go under Adult Ministries on our website. You can take a look at this. You can use it as a self-assessment that there are four stages or steps in this process of growing as a disciple. Maybe you're in step one. You have not yet come to that point of making a commitment to Jesus as your Savior and Lord, but you're interested. You have questions. Maybe you'd say, I believe in God, but I'm not sure about Christ, and my faith is not a significant part of my life yet. Well, we would encourage you to attend worship like today and to check out Christianity Explored or one of our small groups that addresses some of those basic questions about who Jesus is. Maybe you're in the second step. You've made that commitment to Christ, but you've never really been grounded in your faith. And we have uh, small groups and a series of studies that we want to do to help you grow as a disciple and get established in your faith. Quiet time, prayer life, understanding how to study the scripture, how to spend time with the Lord personally growing in the word. Now, the importance of fellowship, connection to the body of Christ, all of those things are covered. Developing a Christian worldview. We actually have three 
classes that we encourage every believer to go through in that area, in that second step. Discipleship explored, the life you've always wanted, and the truth project. And those are offered during the course of the year. Maybe you're in that third step, that you have come and you've been established in those basics of the faith, and Jesus is an important part of your life, and you depend on him daily for guidance and seek to live for him. Then you come to that point where maybe you want to take a new step of faith in terms of serving or discovering your spiritual gifts. And finally, the goal is to bring you to that Christ-centered life where you would say, my relationship with Jesus is the most important relationship of my life and it guides everything that I do. And you are the kind of person who is multiplying your life into others. You are a disciple-maker. Those stages are meant to give direction wherever you are in your relationship with Christ to take the next step. And in the same way that we have a discipleship pathway for adults, we also have that for our children. We have a plan from kindergarten through sixth grade in terms of what we would like our children to learn if they were here all those years. Where will that take them as they become disciples of Jesus? And for our youth that are involved from 7th to 12th grade, our youth ministry team has a discipleship pathway for our youth to prepare them to become young adults who are going to leave this place and continue on in their faith with Christ. Where are you at in that process of growing in your relationship with Christ? Where are you at in your journey of faith? And what is the next step for you? Where will you use your gifts in ministry? Those are questions that I really want all of you to think about as you take a look at these things. This is a great time of year where we have our sign-ups for the small groups out in the foyer. You can talk to Pastor Jason or Ron Tim from our adult ministries and others who are out there, and they'll help you answer that question. You can give us a call and sit down and talk with some of us as pastors if you have questions about that in terms of your particular relationship with God. Maybe you become a mature believer that really wants to focus in on a certain area. And we have leadership development that we do to help people, again, continue to grow deeper in their relationship with Christ. But do you get the picture? Being a follower of Jesus is not just taking that first step and leaving it there. But to become a disciple of Jesus, we need to continue to grow in our relationship with Him. And that is the way that we experience His love and His joy in our life in increasing measure. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. And we just touched on some things today that talk about the commitment that we are to make to Jesus. And I pray, Father, that You would just bless this study and use it in a rich way both in our worship service and in our adult Bible fellowships as we grow deeper in our relationship with you. And help each one of us, Father, to experience that transformation in our life that you want to make. We just commit this all to you in Jesus' name. Amen.